cavern was assigned to the emperor, whilst Ed's room served as a dining room and as a waiting room for those who were in attendance. To the right and left of this apartment, two small cabins were hastily constructed, one to resemble a dressing room and the other to serve as a sleeping place for the valet de chambre. Every night, an aide-de-camp slept on a mattress laid across the door of the Emperor's cabin, and the same etiquette was observed on board the Belrefin, as had been done at the Elysee. In this arrangement, Captain Maitland acquiesced. Two sentinels, as a guard of honor, were stationed by his orders at the entrance to the antechamber. Contrary winds rendered the passage from Rochefort to the coast of England so indiscreetable. The emperor suffered from the sea without, however, being really seasick. We remarked at a later period that he was never really ill at the worst moments, although always suffering more or less inconvenience, except during those 21 days of calm to which the ship was condemned to submit under the line. On the other hand, almost all of us were grievously ill at the commencement of the passage, but completely seaworthy before we arrived at Torbay. Countless causes alone suffered to the very last in bad weather, probably on account of his age and the delicacy of his constitution. This circumstance led the emperor to regret that Las Casas had assumed an evil <laughs> shouldn't have adopted an evil uniform, which rendered his seasickness a continuous subject of amusement to the English <laughs> and annoyed the emperor's national amour the emperor wished him to assume uniform of counselor's state, but he told him he had not brought one, and he was obliged, therefore, to adopt the dress of a plain civilian. It was on this occasion that the emperor, having observed that he wore only the blue ribbon of the Order of Reunion, took a ribbon of the Legion of Honor from his dressing box, and giving it to him, said, Place that in your buttonhole. If you still recognize in me the right of repairing the wrong of not having conferred it earlier, notwithstanding the very respectful and honorable reception given to the emperor on board the Bellerophon, we afterwards knew that there existed at first very strong prepossessions, oh my goodness, prepossessions against us among the officers as well as amongst the ship's crew. Several of them acknowledged it as an amont honorable when an intercourse of some days with us had convinced them of their error. None of them had ever been able to approach the emperor without being filled with admiration of his goodness and struck with that greatness of mind of which he gave proofs on every occasion. His calumniators could not indeed comprehend his genius they never tried but cruelly abused and maligned this great man by supposing him to be the concentration of all manner of vices and defects in a word he was the ogre of our popular fables living upon human flesh 
and reigning merely by the aid of his mamelukes, gendarmes, and secret executions. As to poor Savary, he was a ravenous tiger, stained with the gore of his victims. To such an extent did this impression prevail that many of the readers of Pelletier's writings could not believe that the Savary whom they saw in the midst of them was the same Savary whom they knew by name, that is to say, the executor of the great works of the modern hero, and their imaginations, filled with the most atrocious calumnies, invented and circulated in England in all forms by royalist vanity, found it extremely difficult to do homage to the simple truth. 